Good evening and welcome back to Revival. Amen. Let's stand together. Turn to page 298. Page 298. Heaven came down and glory filled my soul. We'll sing all three verses as we begin our service together tonight. Page 298. Sing it out on the first. Oh, what a wonderful, wonderful day. Day I will never forget. After I wandered in darkness away, Jesus my Savior I met. And what a tender, compassionate friend. He met the need of my heart. Just dispelling with joy, I am telling. He made all the darkness depart. Amen. Heaven came down and glory filled my soul. When at the cross the Savior made me whole, my sins were washed away and my night was turned to day. Heaven came down and glory filled my soul. spirit with life from above into God's family divine justified fully through Calvary's love oh what a standing is mine and the transaction so quickly was made when as a sinner I came took of the offer of grace he did proffer he saved me oh praise his dear name Heaven came down and glory filled my soul. When at the cross the Savior made me whole, my sins were washed away and my night was turned to day. Heaven came down and glory filled my soul. Now surely endure after the passing of time I have a future in heaven for sure there in those mansions sublime and it's because of that wonderful day when at the cross I believed riches eternal and blessings supernal from his precious hand I received heaven came down Somebody say amen tonight. Great start, preacher. Man, I'm telling you, I hope you had a time in your life where heaven came down and glory filled your soul. Amen. Where you called upon the Lord and got saved. And if not, tonight needs to be the night. Amen. Man, it's just been a great week. And I was on my walk this morning and I already had my devotion time, but just talking with the Lord and just praying. And man, I, I, we need him to meet with us tonight. Amen. And so let's pray tonight and ask God's blessing on our services. Sure thankful that you're here uh, tonight, I'm going to ask Brother Chuck Bellis back there if you would pray for us tonight.
Amen. Won't you be seated uh, tonight? At this time, we got a special uh, by the men's quartet tonight. Once I was bound by sin's galling fetters Chained like a slave, I struggled in vain But I received a glorious freedom When Jesus broke my fetters in twain Glorious freedom, wonderful freedom no more in chains of sin I repine. Jesus the glorious emancipator, now and forever he shall be mine. Freedom from fear with all of its torment, Freedom from care with all of its pain. Freedom in Christ, my blessed Redeemer. He who has rent my fetters in twain. Glorious freedom, wonderful freedom. No more in chains of sin I repine. Jesus the glorious emancipator, now and forever he shall be mine. Glorious freedom, wonderful freedom, no more in chains of sin I repine. Jesus the glorious emancipator, now and forever he shall be mine. Jesus the glorious emancipator, now and forever he shall be mine. Be about the song. Let's go ahead and have our men uh, come tonight. I thought we were singing another uh, congregational, and I was over there shouting and having a good time. Amen. Sure thankful for glorious freedom. Amen. What a blessing uh, tonight. So Brother Katanic came in, had his prayer card tonight, and handed it to Brother Dean Herring. Had Michigan football on it. That's wicked. Ungodly. I'm telling you. Bring stuff like that in the house of the Lord. I'm telling you. Amen. Amen. Brother Don, we love you, brother. Won't you pray for us uh, tonight? Pray for the offering.
Amen. Amen. Let's, let's stand one last time. Turn to page 234, and His grace is all sufficient. We're going to sing that tonight. His grace is sufficient for me. Both verses, page 234. Sing it out together on the first. Many times I'm tried and tested as I travel day by day. Oft I meet with pain and sorrow. And there's trouble in the way But I have the sweet assurance That my soul the Lord will lead And in Him there is strength for every need Oh, His grace is sufficient for me and his love is abundant and free. And what joy fills my soul just to know, just to know that his grace is sufficient for me. Let's get around and shake hands together tonight. Good to have you back tonight. Greet one another. Good to have some visiting back with us again tonight as well.
if you need that page number for that last verse. When the tempter brings confusion and I don't know what to do, I just turn it over to Jesus. Amen. Let's sing it out on that last verse. When the tempter brings confusion and I don't know what to do, on my knees I turn to Jesus, for I know he'll see me through. Then despair is changed to victory. Every doubt just melts away. And in him there is hope for every day. For his grace is sufficient for me. And his love is abundant and for me. Aren't you thankful for God's grace tonight? Amen. Praise his name. You may be seated. Wonderful singing tonight. This time we're going to have a special from Miss Curry Quinlan and Miss Phyllis Watson. to buy bread but he stayed at the well on that day and a woman got more than she came there for it's as if i can hear her say because he stayed i've been delivered one more prisoner is free because he stayed i've been forgiven he's made a new person of me what a great transformation what sweet salvation what hope and healing he gave and i'm not the same since jesus came and i'm singing because he stayed He climbed the hill to the old wooden cross, but he could have refused it that day. He stayed there for me, no, he wouldn't leave till the price of my sin was paid. Because he stayed, I've been delivered. One more prisoner is free. Because he stayed, I've been forgiven, he's made a new person of me. What a great transformation, what sweet salvation, what hope and healing he gave. And I'm not the same since Jesus came, and I'm singing because he stayed. Because he stayed. I've been delivered, one more prisoner is free, because he said, I've been forgiven, he's made a new person of me, what a 
great transformation. What sweet salvation, what hope and healing he gave. And I'm not the same since Jesus came. And I'm singing because he stayed. And I'm not the same since Jesus came. And I'm singing because he Looking forward to uh, Brother Herring coming and, and preaching, and what a blessing the, the week has just uh, been already. And so, Brother Herring, you come tonight, and uh, just let her go, brother. Amen. You heard something about yeah. that. <laughs> Amen. Well, thank you. Great song. Both songs. Special tonight was good, and I uh, love good music. Amen. Draws your heart closer to the Lord and just encourages you. And uh, that was wonderful. I, I had a great day today. I mean, we, we, we went to the Indian dealership. Amen? <laughs> Indian motorcycle. How many of you have an Indian motorcycle? Could I see your hands? Okay, wow. How many of you need one? Good. Yes, that's I want to I call it my two-wheeled therapy. Amen? Now, I want to say this, that I don't live in a huge metropolis where you are threatened to become a hood ornament, okay, every time you ride. So I'm able to get out and just ride and get the wind in my face. So I enjoy it. We have a good time. But we went there, and the pastor went into a trance, and I uh, had to lead him out. And uh, I'm telling you, he was there's a lot of things in there that draw your attention. But uh, we had a great time of fellowship. And then what's the what's the sporting goods store? Shield. Man alive, that place is like heaven. That's unbelievable. That's that's amazing. Two signs God gave me when I went to Idaho. I mean, I knew he wanted me to go, but you know how you get a confirmation afterwards? Well, the, well, the confirmations that came was Cheesecake Factory came. And I, I knew then that I would feed my family. And, uh, and then Cabela's moved out. And I thought, wow, yeah. Now, if Cheesecake Factory closes, I'll still be able to feed my family, you know, with all the guns and ammunition. So we, we, uh, we love it, and uh, we had a great time today. That was pretty, we're having a Shields built in Idaho. It's amazing. So I was able to go in there, and my grandkids are going to go crazy. I mean, when they see the Ferris wheel, they're going to enjoy it. How many of you have not been there? Okay, several of you. All right, we'll have an altar call shortly <laughs> and uh, get that right. And uh, open your Bibles, if you will, to the book of Daniel tonight. The book of Daniel is where we're going to be, and... Uh, I've just enjoyed the fellowship and so thankful for you. My wife and I have both commented and talked about what a welcoming church you are. And can I just say this also? Taking the opportunities that God gives me to preach around, and I'm grateful for those, can I tell you that there is a big difference in going to a church who has been praying and fasting for revival? And in going into a church that is just hoping somehow I will bring in my briefcase something that will get things stirred up. It's sort of the difference in jumping in a swimming pool and swimming from one end to the other and jumping into a pool that's filled with molasses and swimming from one end to the other. About three days in, the molasses has worn you out. You may have made some progress. It's just not the same. But when you come to a church that has fasted and prayed, you get behind the pulpit and you immediately feel at home. And uh, I just want to tell you, 
there's no man that can bring revival with him. Revival is not of man, it's of God. And so when we fast and pray, we're yielding ourselves to the Lord to let God do in our hearts what he wants to do. So I want to I want to thank you, and, and I, I, I want to say this, and I'm, I'm really serious about this. I want you to know that whatever God does this week will be a whole lot more in response to your fasting and your prayer than it will my preaching. Now, I, I, you know, I know God uses preaching, but I'm just simply saying, preaching that has no unction behind it and preaching that has not been bathed in prayer may impart a lot of knowledge but it goes to the ear only. Your fasting and prayer takes the message and carries it deeper into the heart. And so I just want to thank you. It's, uh, it's just, it, look, I'm enjoying myself. I'm just having a great time. Or I really am. I'm just having a great time. And, and I don't feel any pressure at all to get up and try to, you know, get things across to people. I'm just getting up and preaching what God's given me and, and, the Spirit of God's doing the rest because you have made Him welcome by your seeking Him. And I'm, I'm very grateful for that. Let me give you just a little background, then we'll stand and read the Word. Nebuchadnezzar, if he was anything, he was a narcissist. Okay. If you study the history of the Babylonian kingdom, Nebuchadnezzar was greatly impressed with himself. Now later on in his life, God's going to deal with that. <laughs> He's going to wind up with long hair and long nails and standing out in the field grazing grass like cattle. And I want to just tell you that God has a way of humbling people and of helping them to realize that they are within themselves. Even the Apostle Paul said, I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. And so we need to be careful not to think very highly of the man in the mirror. Well, this was his problem, especially as we enter into chapter 3. He was, he was as though he was a god, okay? And his, his authority was unquestioned. His word was unchallenged. And so he builds a statue, and historians will tell you that the statue was in his own image. And so the idea was simply this. We're going to have a great day. We're going to have the king's orchestra and the band. Everybody's going to strike up a note. When they begin to play, I'm going to give a signal, and the statue's going to be unveiled. And when, and when the veil falls, and there the statue of Nebuchadnezzar is in all his glory, you're to bow down and you're to worship the golden image that I have made. Well, the problem with that was, is there were... At this time, three Hebrew boys, we call them three Hebrew children, known in the Babylonian tongue as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And when the time came for all of this to be unveiled, those boys were present and they did not bow. And so all over the place, there are everybody on their knees and somebody catches a shadow and looks up and wow. Three Hebrew boys remain standing because they're not going to bow to an image. Now, let me just say this to you. It's one thing for you to be what you are at church and to worship at church and to say amen at church and to have a reputation at church and to praise God at church. 
It's another thing for you to carry that testimony into a place where you are perhaps the only one standing out like a sore thumb. It's one thing to praise God at church, another to praise Him on the job. It's one thing to be respected at church, another thing to be respected on the job. Sometimes even within our own family unit, we can find ourselves at a uh, at a family gathering where, where we stand out like a sore thumb and people are wondering, why do you raise your kids that way? Why don't your kids get to go where my kids go and do what my kids do and watch what my kids watch? You think you're better than us? You know? And so, uh, so, so it, it, it can be sometimes a challenge. It can be a challenge when we become overwhelmed by the snare that the Bible calls the fear of man. It'll cause you to do, listen, when you fear man, when you fear man, you've got big man and little God. When you fear God, you've got big God and little man. And you'll be able to do things and say things and take stands that, that, that no one else is able to take simply because your God is big and, you're, and the men around you are small. Don't ever, listen, don't ever, don't ever lose that. Don't ever forget the fact that men are small in comparison with God. And we've been called to please Him, not them. And so here they are, they will not bow. And it's reported to Nebuchadnezzar, and things get on in a hurry. So stand to your feet, if you will. Daniel chapter 3, with that in mind, verse 13. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in his rage and fury commanded to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And then they brought these men before the king. And Nebuchadnezzar spake and said unto them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, do not ye serve my gods, nor worship the golden image which I have set up? Now, if ye be ready, that at what time ye hear the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, and dulcimer, and all kinds of music, Ye fall down and worship the image which I have made well. But if you worship not, you should be cast the same hour into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. And who is that God that shall deliver you out of my hands? When Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we are not careful to answer thee in this matter. Can I just pause and say this? They're just saying, we, we, look, we... We ain't got to talk about this. There's not a question as how are we going to answer you. You want to know who our God is? You'll find out. And the reality of this, we're not even careful. We're, we're, listen, we're, we're not even hesitant to give you our answer. And so they do so, verse 17, if it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace and he will deliver us out of thy hand, O king. And I love these next three words, but if not. Boy, if God would get us back to some but-if-not Christians, some but-if-not faith. I believe my God can, but if God chooses not to, I'm not going to bow anyhow. Okay? I mean, we believe that God can move in right now and do anything God wants to do. But if He chooses not to, we're not in this simply for the results. We're in this for, for the Savior. But if not, be it known unto thee, O King, that we will not serve thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. Then was Nebuchadnezzar full of fury, and the form of his visage was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Therefore he spake and commanded that they should heat the furnace one seven times more 
than it was wont to be heated. And he commanded the most mighty men that were in his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. Then these three men were bound in their coats and their hosen and their hats and their other garments and were cast into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. And therefore, because the king's commandment was urgent and the furnace exceeding hot, the flame of the fire slew those men that took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell down bound into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. And then Nebuchadnezzar king was astonished and rose up in haste and spake and said unto his counselors, Did not we cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? And they answered and said unto the king, True, O king. And he answered and said, Lo, I see four men loose walking in the midst of the fire, and they have no hurt, and the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. Nebuchadnezzar came near to the mouth of the burning fiery furnace and spake and said, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, ye servants of the Most High God, come forth and come hither. And then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came forth out of the midst of the fire, and the princes, governors, and captains, and the king's counselors being gathered together, saw these men, upon whose body the fire had no power, nor was a hair of their head singed, neither were their coats changed, nor the smell of fire passed on them. You can't come out with that testimony out of a zippy mark anymore. You know what I'm saying? I mean, they didn't even smell like smoke. They went in the middle of the fire, and they came out. Not only did the fire not burn them, their hair wasn't singed, and they didn't even smell like smoke. That's pretty good. Verse 28, Then Nebuchadnezzar spake and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who hath sent his angel and delivered his servants that trusted in him and have changed the king's word and yielded their bodies that they might not serve nor worship any god except their god. Therefore, I make a decree that every people, nation, and language which speak anything amiss against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be cut in pieces and their houses shall be made a dunghill, because there is no us tonight, Lord. Help us tonight. Thank you, dear God, for this furnace experience and the lessons that we can glean from it. I pray that you would open our hearts and our minds. Give us, dear God, the things that we have need of from your word. May the Spirit of God delve deeply within us and Give us, dear God, that which we need in each individual heart and life. We'll thank you. In the name of Jesus, I pray these things. Amen. You may be seated. There are some things here in the story that we read tonight that are so applicable to you and I in our world today. And I think if we learn from these principles and apply them to our life, we can... We can learn some lessons from the furnace that will help us in our time of trouble. And by the way, let me just say this to you. Your time of trouble will come. Okay, let me, let me just say this to you. There will be a time in your life when you will face the heat of the furnace. Some of you have already been there. Some of you understand exactly what I'm talking about. And, and the reality of the matter is every, every one of us at some point or another, are going to face the furnace one day. Now, I don't know what your furnace will be, and I will say this, that, that some furnaces will be greater than others. There are people here that have lost loved ones. 
There are people here that have lost children. There are people here that have wept tears that they never dreamed they would ever weep. They've been betrayed. Their hearts have been broken. Their lives have been crushed. There, there are people here who had people in their life that they thought would never walk out on them, only to see the door swing on its hinges, and, 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 and they, were, they, were, they were left alone uh, and, and have, have missed the presence of somebody that they trusted in. There, there, there are young people here that, that, that were betrayed by people that they placed their trust in. I'm just, I'm just saying, I, I don't know, but all of our furnaces aren't the same. The dynamics are different. Sometimes I think we need to be careful in not thinking that, 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 that uh, uh, the solutions for our furnace was, is the same for everybody else's. Dynamics are different. Personalities are different. Nobody writes a manual on grief. There is no timetable on how long it must take. The reality of the matter, when somebody is grieving and we want them to get really better in a hurry and we're pressing them, you're over it now, aren't you? You're over it now. You're over it now. We, we say it in different words, but that's what we mean. The reality of the matter is it's not our concern for them as much as it is our concern for us. We want things to get back to normal. Please stop grieving because I'm uncomfortable with your grief. Please don't emote. Please don't weep because... If you weep, I can't laugh. Well, sometimes we don't need to be laughing. Sometimes we need to have our arm around their shoulders and walk them as far down the trail as we possibly can while they get through grief, listen to me, which is a process. And so, so we're going to face it. It could be that your furnace is a financial crisis. It could be the death of a loved one. It could be in a physical sickness. It could be in the loss of a job or it, it, it could be that you face a morning that you never dreamed would come, and when you woke up that morning realizing what that day held for you, you wish somehow you could reach out and press the reset button and start that day all over again, but you can't. And you've got to face and you've got to live with the things that have come your way. And we don't have any power to choose what our difficulties in life will be. We don't sign up for these things. We can't see them coming around the corner. And, and the reality is simply this. Um, there's some things in this life that we're not going to have the answers for on this side. I remember pastoring, my first pastor and a lady, her husband, they were, they were running a fish camp and some ruffians came down and were, were, they were drinking and some things happened and he went down to, they were doing some things. He had to stop them to protect the, the business and one of the young guys jumped on him, had a, had a father that held a prestigious uh, position in the city and he jumped on the guy that was a member of my church and beat him and he ultimately wound up dying of a heart attack later that afternoon. I rushed to the hospital to see her and just in time to find out that he had passed away. The doctor walked by, and I remember the lady reached out and grabbed the doctor, and she said, tell me why. Why did this happen? Why, why, why did this happen to such a good man? I'll never forget, I'm just a young guy, not long out of Bible college. The doctor stopped and looked, pointed to me, and he said, ask him, that's his job, and walked off. The reality of the matter is that's not my job. The truth of the matter is I don't have all the answers. I don't have them. And sometimes I have to look at people and say, I'm not sure. 
Sometimes people will call me and say, Preacher, what do you think about this? And I, I say, look, you've got to give me a day or two to pray about this. I, I'm not, I don't just have something I can pop off the top of my head. You know, I don't have a book I can thumb through and say, let's see, what do we do here? No, no, no. Sometimes you've got to get, get along with God, let the Spirit of God lead you. But I, I just want to tell you that, that there's some things going to come your way in your life, and you will not know why. My grandson dying before his fifth birthday? Me going down to a desert place, so dark, the stars felt like they were dangling right above my head, and I felt like I could reach out and grab a handful of them. And I stood in that place time and time again, begging my God, trying to make a deal with my God, trying to somehow, somehow talk God into taking my life and leaving his life. And I wept and cried tears that that, that, that came from the very depths of my soul, but God, for some reason, chose to take my grandson after 55 days. Pastor, why did he do that? I have no idea. Now listen carefully. If you cannot live with questions, you're going to bail on God sooner or later. So you read the book of Job... And by the way, Job chapter 3 is the rawest chapter maybe in all the Bible. I mean, here's a guy that was godly, everybody respected him, and he is literally, if I could say it this way, vomiting out his emotions in chapter 3. It's a, it's, listen, that is a painful chapter to read. And at the end of the book, at the end of the book, what you really find out is Job didn't have any answers at all. God's just throwing questions at him. Job ain't got no answers. And when all was said and done, as far as we know, Job never knew about the conversation between God and Satan until the other side. And so he had to live the rest of his life not knowing why all of his kids, all of his wealth, everything he had had imploded. He knew nothing about that. He just had to remain faithful. Now, if your God is not good in the hard times, then who is he? See, if God's not, if God's not God in the, in the, in the hard times, then, then, then who do we have? What, if, 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 God, if God can only be good and can only bless us when everything's going our way, what kind of a God is he? I mean, the reality of God is that God is good, and His goodness does not hinge upon what happens in my life or your life. God is good not because of what He does to Dean. God is good because the Bible declares Him to be so. And the Bible is absolute truth. Now, I'm going to get to my first point, but I'll just say this as we, as we transition. And I want you to listen to this statement because this is so very vitally important. If, if you cannot, listen, if you cannot remain faithful to God in the middle of a burning, fiery furnace, when your life transitions from everything good and everything great into a, into a furnace experience, if you, can't, if you can't stay faithful with God, you're not going to last long. You're not going to last long. When I planted our church years ago, one of the things I said to them is this. If you can take or leave church, sooner or later you're going to leave it. If you can take or leave church, there's going to come a time, trust me, you'll walk out. You're going to leave it. 
And if, you're, if your relationship with the Lord is hit or miss, it's going to start missing a whole lot more than it's hitting when the times get tough in your life. First thing I want you to notice about this situation with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego is that he saved them in the furnace, not from it. He saved them in the furnace, not from it. Now, God's not always going to save you from things. Now, that's what you want. Let's be honest about it. No sentence lying to each other. Well, I thank God I just said, God, give it to me. No, you did not. When I'm down, I remember one time I was down on an altar and a guy was praying. He called on some people to pray. And the guy said, oh, God, break me. God, break me. I moved over. Son, I moved over. God, you break him, go ahead, but I'm getting out of here. I'm moving. Amen? Asking God to break me. God knows if I need breaking or not. You know what I'm saying? I mean, look, when you hear somebody say, oh, God, break me, you're probably listening to somebody that's never been broken. That never knows what it's like to wallow on their belly on the carpet, begging God for breath, asking God to get them through the greatest crisis of their life. It's not something that you invite. It's not something that you brag about. God's, God is not always going to save us from the furnace, though that's what we would like. What's the greater testimony? The greater testimony we think is like coming in and saying, Boy, I want to tell you things got rough in my life, but God came through and God blessed. And everybody's excited. Sometimes God may not come through when we think he should or wish he would. Remember that Paul had a thorn in the flesh and he asked God three times to remove it, but God did not. And God said to Paul simply this, it's in that weakness, son, that you have, it's in that weakness that you have that my strength is made evident in your life. Did you know this? Did you know that most men that I know that are being really used by God, there's some weakness in their life that, that makes them, it, a lot of times it's physical, sometimes it's even emotional. I can tell you the name of great preachers in this nation who have talked with me personally and said, I suffer from depression. What? You're a man of God? Yep. You love the Lord? Yep. And you struggle with the black dog? Yep. Now listen to me, listen to me. What is that? That is a weakness that God uses in their life to bring them in contact with his strength. See, if we can walk around flexing all the time, and if everything's going right, my word, we, 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 we somehow devalue the strength of God. You know why we do that? Because we're sinners. And we're, and we're narcissistic enough to think that somehow we can do it on our own, when the reality of the matter is we can do it on our own. It's, it's, it's repeated time and time in the Scripture. Daniel chapter 6. What, did Dan, what happened to Daniel? He was saved in the lion's den, not from it. Now look at me. Our God, the God of heaven, the God of Daniel, our God let his child spend 24 hours, or at least overnight, in a den with lions. Now, that's not what you and I are looking for. <laughs> no, no, no. You know what I'm looking for? Uh, 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 kill them, God. No, God said, no, no. You're going to go in there. And they're going to shut the door on you. And all night long, you're going to stay in a den with sleeping lions 
and probably going to be praying they stay asleep. You know? But Daniel learned some things in there. And, and it would have been easier for Daniel had the king changed his mind, but God didn't allow that. God's not a fire escape. Christianity's not a bed of roses. Okay? The reality of the matter is, is, is you know, we, prayer, it and, prayer, it, prayer it and rubbing the lamp and God pops out and says, give me you know, three wishes, son, what do you want? That's not who God is. God isn't, God isn't a sacred Santa Claus. God's not waiting to, to bring you everything you want for Christmas. The reality of the matter, the reality of the matter is that sometimes God allows us to handle hard and difficult situations because in those situations, we grow more there than we ever do in the good times. So, I mean, I think about Matthew chapter 8. Jesus said, all right, guys, I want you to go get in the ship and I want you to sail to the other side. Well, bam, as soon as they got in that thing, a storm rose up. And they were rowing and rowing and rowing and rowing and basically, basically getting nowhere. And the Bible said Jesus watched the entire event from a mountainside. He's sitting there watching them. They're rowing and he's watching. They're rowing and he's watching. He's not doing anything about it. He's letting them feel the weight of the storm. He's letting them feel the turbulence. Listen to me. He knows they're afraid. He, he, he knows that, that, that they are being tested and tried. And he watched the entire thing until it came time that he treaded upon the very thing that troubled them. He came to them. Listen, when a storm arises in your life, look, look, look to the trouble. Look to the storm because that's what he's coming to you on. There's Peter. Thinking it's a ghost. <laughs> Jesus said, be not afraid, it's I. And he walked to them on the very thing that threatened their life. That's where you're going to find him. You'll see him clearer in your troubles than you ever will before. You know, somebody will say about, yeah, I got a funeral time. They'll say, well, people just aren't thinking straight. No, they're thinking straighter than they ever have. They're seeing things more clearly than they ever have. It's, it's troubles and heartaches and heartbreaks that lift the fog out of our minds, the, the, the confusion of this clattering world around us, and, and we hear the voice of God more clearly than ever before. His eyes are upon you when the storm rages in your life. I think of Acts chapter 12, uh, the Peter, uh, Peter and the guys are thrown into jail, and God saved them in the jail, not from it. He saved the disciples in the storm, not from it. And we know the miraculous story of how that he delivered, uh, delivered them from the jail and, and the miracle that God did. He was beaten and shackled. God allowed him to be beaten and shackled. Somebody beats me and shackles me, I'm going to be wondering where God's at. And why God would allow that to happen. You know, God gets blamed for a lot these days. Everybody's looking to God. Uh, why would a loving God, because a loving God knows more than you know. And by the way, he gave us a perfect world and we're the one that fumbled it. He didn't. And so we're suffering the consequences of the world around us and we want to blame God for it. No, no, listen to me. God didn't beat them. But there are things that God's allowed in our life. Sometimes it's for our benefit. Sometimes it's for the benefit of others. And God rescued them from that. Second thing I want you to notice, not only that he saved them in the furnace, not from it, but I want you to know, second of all, that furnace experiences do not necessarily reveal God's displeasure in us. Now, would you just get this down in your crawl? Let me put it this way. 
Because you have a difficult time in your life doesn't mean God's mad at you. Where'd you get that at, the charismatics? Where'd you hear that at? Not in this church. You heard it on TV somewhere. Where the idea is that somehow, uh, somehow uh, if something bad happens in your life, you must have done something bad. No, the reality of the matter is that Daniel was right with God. Three Hebrew children were right with God. Peter and James were right with God. The reality of the matter is that the disciples were obeying God when they got into the boat. And so it doesn't mean because hardships come in your life that somehow God has abandoned you and that God is angry with you. Can God trust you with the test? Can he trust you with the storm? Can he trust you with the furnace? Are you mature enough that God can allow you to go to through something difficult in life so that others can look in and see God's mercy in your life? Charismatics have told us that God bails us out of all of our troubles, and that's just not true. Always like it when a televangelist on TV gets up and preaches that as he straightens his glasses. You know what I'm saying? I'm saying, <laughs> look, if, if you got all that power, why are you wearing glasses? Why'd you go to the dentist last week? You know? I mean, the reality of the matter is it's a lie that's caused so many people to fall by the wayside. Let me show you something. Jump over to Hebrews chapter 11. Would you do that for a moment? Let's just go to, we mentioned it the other night. Let's just jump to Hebrews chapter 11. I want to show you, I want to show you what we call the hall of faith. Now, by the way, by the way, the reality of the matter is that God doesn't name it the hall of faith. We did. Okay? What you're going to find here is a lot of failure. I mean, you just wade down through this, and you got, I mean, Noah got drunk. Good night. He's in here. Abraham, Abraham fled from, from, from God. He, he went down out of Israel into Egypt because of a famine. Really, he was commanded not to go to Egypt. And, 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 and there he goes. And man alive, you, I mean, Sarah mocked God, laughed at God. You think about Isaac. Think about Jacob. Jacob was a deceiver. He was the head of the most dysfunctional family in all of the Bible. I mean, it, it, you got Joseph, and, and if Joseph did anything wrong, it was that, it, it, I mean, he, he really, he didn't use a lot of discretion in telling his brothers about the dream. Moses cursed and broke the rock. Son, I mean, there's, you know, there's a lot going on here. Joshua, well, the generation that followed Joshua didn't even know the Lord. So they fumbled the ball. And then wait a minute, what about Rahab? Hold it, Rahab, Rahab shouldn't be in here simply because of her past record. She was a harlot. Doesn't matter what she is today in most churches, it's what she was. That's a shame, is it not? And then you read along and, man alive, you got to be kidding me. Samson? Samson's in here? You want to talk about narcissistic Boy, that's, that's amazing. I preached 12 weeks in my church on Samson. You're talking about a narcissistic guy. I don't even have time to get into that. But then, then we, look, look, look here, watch this. So let's look at some great things that's happened. Look here in, in verse number 33. Who through faith subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, waxed valiant in fight, turned to flight the armies of aliens, women received their dead, raised to life again. You know what that is? That's all plan A. And if we had a testimony tonight, said, somebody give me a testimony. Somebody said, um, uh, 
We were being attacked by some lions, and I prayed, and God shut their mouth. Wow! Are you kidding me? Somebody else raised their hand. Yes, sir. We were being invaded by, by the, uh, uh, armies of aliens, and God gave victory, and we defeated them. It's a shouting time. I mean, people are running up and down socks are rolling up and down on ankles. We're carrying our King James Bible and waving it, hopping pews and having a great time because those are all plan A praises. But it don't end there. Look, look with me. Look, look, look with me. Verse 35, women receive their dead raised to life again. Uh-oh, here comes, oh no, and others. This is plan B. Well, what happened to others? Well, they were tortured. They were not accepting deliverance that they might obtain a better resurrection. Others had trial, cruel mockings and scourgings, yea, moreover of bonds and imprisonment, stoned, sawn asunder, tempted, slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and in mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. All these, having obtained a good report through faith, received not the promise. And so we're having a shouting meeting. And I said, yes, ma'am. And somebody in the back says, Pastor Dean, yes, ma'am. What do you got to add to the testimony meeting tonight? Two weeks ago, I was tortured for my faith. The oxygen sucked out of the air. Well, I, I had a husband that was sawn asunder. Yes, my boy was stoned to death. There ain't no shouting going on then. Now, now listen to me. Here's what God said. And all these got the same grade on their report card as the rest. See, see we, we, think, we think those that have the plan A praises, we're like, Woo! But God said, no, let me tell you something. The, uh, this other group, this plan B group, the world's not worthy of them. Their faith has been tried in the fire. I'm just telling you that when you go through a furnace experience, it doesn't mean that God is angry with you. My father's way may twist and turn. My heart may throb and ache. But in my soul, I'm glad I know he maketh no mistake. My life is but a weaving between my Lord and me. I cannot choose the colors. He worketh steadily. And the dark threads are as needful in the master's skillful hand as the threads of gold and silver in the pattern he has planned. I'm just going to tell you, uh, when you look in your, your, your furnace in the, in, the, uh, in the face, if you don't realize that it doesn't mean that God is angry with you, but rather that God is with you, you're going to fall apart. He's trying to teach you. Let me help you with this. When God tries you, He's not just trying to teach you, He's trying to make you. It's not just a lesson. God is trying to make you into the person He wants you to be. I walked a mile with pleasure. She chatted all the way and left me none the wiser for all she had to say. But I walked a mile with sorrow and not a word said she, but oh, the things I learned from her when sorrow walked with me. You will know God better on the other side of your furnace experience than you ever did before you went in. Third of all, the effects of the furnace vary. The effects of the furnace vary. So to those that were right with God, the furnace was a place of victory. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You know what I love about this? Nebuchadnezzar had to come over and say, Hey guys, could you do me a favor? Uh, could could y'all just step out a moment? I mean, he's the one that threw him in. And now he's having to ask him kindly, Would you come out? I'd like to chat with you. 
The guys that did not know God were the strongest men in his army, but the furnace was heated so hot that, that, that the heat of the furnace slew them. What does that mean? It means that who, it's who you know that matters. The furnace to those that know the Lord is nothing more than a stroll that they'll remember the rest of their life. Can you imagine them as old men walking by the Babylonian furnace there and somebody saying, see that right there? I was here years ago working for the king, and I saw him throw three guys in there. And you're not going to believe it. There were four, and the three came out, and you couldn't even smell smoke on them. You get out of here. It is true. I was here. The place that was meant for their death became a monument to their faith. And I'm going to tell you that God can take the worst times of your life and make them be a monument to his grace and his power. You ever seen these charts where, where this is the high point, then there's lows, and this is high, and this is low, and it levels off a little bit, and then, then it dips a little more, and then it goes back up high? And they're doing all that to show you what the big moments are and what the low moments are. I believe this with all my heart. I believe that when we get to heaven, God's going to take the chart and flip it over. And the times that we thought were high times were the times that we didn't realize our need for God. But the times that we felt were the lowest will be the peaks of our life. Because it's in those times that God changes us and molds us and makes us. He's a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 15 says, For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched, listen to this statement, with the feeling." Of our infirmity. Can I tell you this? God feels for you. He feels what you feel. When you cry, and it's in the darkness of your room, and your heart is breaking, and you're crying over someone, or crying over a particular problem, can I tell you this? That every emotion that you go through, can I tell you that your Heavenly Father knows exactly, listen, He knows exactly how you feel. Listen, He is a man of sorrows. And he is acquainted with grief. You don't have to catch God up on it. God knows all about it. Now, let me do this, and then I'm going to shift real quick, and we'll work our way through the rest of it. But I just want to, I want to give you a little tip here. Okay? So here's Nebuchadnezzar. And Nebuchadnezzar says, guys, um, I want you to listen to me. I'm going to give you another chance. And if you, if, if you will take the chance, we're just going to forget what just happened. You guys not bowing, okay? Well, forget that. It's all good. It's all good. But if you don't bow this time, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to heat the furnace seven times hotter than it's ever been heated before. What does that mean? Sunny side up or crispy fried? I mean, I mean you know what I'm saying? If you're in the furnace, you're gone. Heat it one time. Two times, seven times. You know what that is? That's the typical bluff of the devil and his crowd. We're going to really make it bad. We're going to really make it bad, you know. I, I, I read today where the Khomeini in Iran threatened Israel and said, if you do anything in Gaza, you're going to really get slapped in your ugly face. And I thought to myself, you're probably not going to have the hands to do the slapping. Just hang around just a little bit. They're they getting some things together. And you're you, you probably not going to have anything to, to slap with. And so here's the devil. And, 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 and the devil basically, through Nebuchadnezzar, says, look, if you don't, uh, if, if you don't do this, I'm going to really heat it up. So he heated it up, and, and they were thrown in. 
And, and what was meant to be destruction for them, they just strolled right through it and didn't even come out smelling like smoke. Number four, listen to this. This is so vital. It's not important that you see the Lord in your furnace as it is that others see Him. See, nowhere in this, I mean, we think probably they did. I don't know. God doesn't say. I mean, can you imagine them walking through there and saying, well, hey, Lord. I mean, they're strolling together. I don't know that they saw Him it doesn't matter because the Bible doesn't say what matters is Nebuchadnezzar and the rest of the world looked in and said, hey, one, two, three, four, guys, come here. How many do you see? We see four. Yeah, we casted three in. The fourth one looks like the Son of God. There's something different about him. Sometimes we want the testimony of what God is doing. I remember years ago something was going in my life and I was in between churches. I was preaching everywhere, and a friend of mine came up to me and said, Brother Dean, what's God doing in your life? And this is exactly, I'm not exa- this is exactly what I said to him. I said, I have no idea. And if he tells you, please tell me. Because I don't know. I don't know. I'm just in the furnace. I, I can't necessarily see everything that God's doing. Spurgeon said, when I cannot trace his hand, I can always trust his heart. So sometimes, sometimes we can't visualize God, but we know God's there. Why? Even in the book of Esther, when the name of God's not mentioned, God's seen all throughout the shadows of that book. God's there. You may not see God evidently working in your life, but can I tell you that God is in your furnace with you? It doesn't matter that you've seen. It doesn't even matter that you know exactly what, it's, what He's doing. What matters is that other people can look in your furnace and see that God is in your life. I've stood in the front yard of people as their house burned down and everything they owned went up in, in smoke. And I stood there with them and seen God all over their life. Why? Because they had a faith and a trust that God was going to get them through. God's going to get them through. We've got loved ones that have been through heartaches and heartaches and heartbreaks and trouble. And I don't know why God does everything that, that he does and allows the things that he allows, but I, I can see the Lord in their life. Last of all, and I close with this, the furnace reveals what you really are. See, see what I want to think about Dean is this. Dean is um, Dean's the guy behind the pulpit. Dean's a guy at South Valley Baptist Church in Cune, Idaho, that's greeting visitors and shaking hands and saying, man, I'm so glad you're here. It's great to see you. My word, I've missed you. We love you. Care about you. Dean's a guy that's kneeling down by a hospital bed and praying with people that are sick. That's the Dean. I want to be real. But the, the deepest, realest part of who I am is when my heart breaks. And the furnace is up. And I can't see God anywhere around me. That reveals who I really am. If I cut and run, if I cut and run, then the dean that was behind the pulpit and the dean that was greeting people and the dean was in the hospital was just all a facade. It's all a facade. It's, it's in the furnace that the true nature of who we really are. See, Daniel, Daniel wasn't a hero before the life. He, he was a hero 
not because of the lion's den. It was, it, that's just revealed what was in his heart. The three Hebrew boys, it wasn't the furnace. It wasn't the furnace that made them close to God. They were close to him before they ever went in the furnace. And the furnace just revealed that and revealed his presence in their life. If your God's not real in the hard times, then he's not really real at all. I, I, don't, I, I don't know how to apply this. I, I, don't, I, I don't know you well enough. I, not even my own people. I, I don't have the ability that the Spirit of God has to go into each heart and each life and, 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 and look at the scars and recognize where each scar came from. I don't know you well enough to do that, nor do I know my own people. I, I, do know, I, I do know that sometimes even in my own life, God points out scars and wounds and things that I wasn't maybe even aware were there, and, and, and he, he applies things to my life. But I'm just, I'm just telling you this. Listen to me. Listen to me. When you go through the furnace experience, you may have been through one, and you may say, Preacher, it rattled me. It rattled me. I fell apart. I drifted from God. I drifted from church. I set my Bible aside. Well, come back down to an altar tonight, get on your knees and, and just confess to the Lord, okay, I, I really, God, I really, fumbled that, I really fumbled that furnace experience. But I, I see now you're trying to make me through it. You're trying to make me into the person you want me to be. And the only thing, the only way you can do that is through the refiner's fire. Come yield yourself to that. Come thank him for hardships in your life and realize that they're there for a purpose. It's for your good and His glory. Let's bow our heads. Could we do that?